0: All right, hey there, and welcome to episode 29 of We Can Do This. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Dr. Eugene Choi. Eugene is a certified transformational mindset coach who uses neuroscience to help talented, heart-driven leaders operate at their highest level of clarity, energy, and focus. In this episode, he shares with us how at any given moment, your brain is either in an executive state or a survival state. And how research has shown for about 70% of our adult lives, we are in the survival state, which is preventing us from accessing our highest levels of creativity, innovation, and performance. And as entrepreneurs, we're often faced with uncertainty and risks. And that often triggers the brain's reactive survival state. And as a result, it's been discovered that this is often the root cause of many entrepreneurs being bogged down by stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. And as we talk about in the episode, this inhibits our ability to be empathetic, which is really crucial for the work that we do in the social impact space. So Eugene is in this work to really prevent entrepreneurs from experiencing burnout, negativity, low morale, underperformance, and ultimately keeping entrepreneurs from quitting their ventures altogether. So I'm excited to introduce you to Eugene and some of the content that he often writes and speaks about. And I think you'll really enjoy this. So let's go ahead and jump into this episode with Dr. Eugene Choi. All right, hey, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited to be here with Eugene Choi. Dr. Eugene Choi is a clinical pharmacist turned certified transformational mindset coach that helps talented, heart-driven leaders operate at their highest levels of clarity, energy, and focus. With a background in clinical pharmacy, neuroscience, and business coaching, his unique science-backed process, along with the use of groundbreaking technology, helps entrepreneurs figure out how to dramatically improve performance, innovate dynamic solutions, and achieve their goals. His articles have reached over 9 million people, and he has helped hundreds of leaders and heart-driven entrepreneurs significantly transform their results at both a professional and personal level. So Eugene, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Yeah, it's so good to be here, and it's so good to see you, because I know we go back a little bit. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've chatted, and I I know we've known each other for years. I think we first met in person at an event in Nashville, which is where I first really heard you uh, present a lot of this content. And for me, I remember it being, I mean, one, a great event and great to hang out with everyone, but I remember the content that you delivered at that event being particularly helpful for me at that moment. And I'm excited to be able to share some of that with the audience today. Yeah, sounds fun. Let's do it. Yeah, well, if you want to start, and we just kind of shared a little bit, but if you want to share this transition that you made into your, you know, your previous career and now into really taking neuroscience and helping entrepreneurs, how did you get to this point? Yeah, I mean, it's been a wild ride,
1: and I'll try to explain it in like uh, as succinctly as possible. But long story short, the reason I went into pharmacy was for this green thing called money, right? You know, you get a six figure salary right out of college and I grew up pretty poor. So that's why I did that. And then I got pretty jaded because I couldn't see myself doing it for the rest of my life. So on my three year anniversary, I quit and went into full on soul searching mode. I went on a road trip with my wife for two months and then ended up doing some filmmaking out in LA. And while doing filmmaking, we found some exposure there where, you know, one of the biggest projects I worked on got 23 million million views online. We had multiple viral content. Some of it got picked up by television. So, which was fun to see it on TV, on talk shows and stuff like that. So that taught me a lot about marketing indirectly without even realizing. I realized there's, you know, certain frameworks, certain patterns that people do to create content that gets shared very rapidly. So I learned a lot about that and. I ended up running out of money. So I went back to pharmacy for a little bit. And while I was doing that, I was really starting to soul search again. It was like a tail between my legs moment, right? Like I failed. I tried this, find your passion thing. It didn't work. I did the filmmaking thing. And I realized, well, you know, I didn't actually like filmmaking anyway. To give you an idea, that video that got 23 million views took me seven months to edit it. It's very labor intensive (laughs) filmmaking, as you know, like in editing, right? Whether it's podcasts, it's time consuming at times. So... I was just like, well, what is it that I really liked anyway? And I realized it was storytelling because even as adults, we love to sit in a dark room at the movie theater and be told a story. And I realized why it's because in any movie that's mainstream, it's basically a main character that has something they really, really want. And they go through some challenges and they achieve it at the end. And the big thing that they experience is not just an external transformation. It's a significant internal transformation. They become a different person. I think we all crave that. At a baseline level, we crave to grow as an individual. We crave to expand. We crave to get better. And it started this journey of, well, how do you make that happen in real life? How can we make this happen in real life? So I developed two skill sets. One was business coaching. So I got this opportunity to get directly mentored by the CEO of a multi-million dollar business. I was just like, when else do I get to get this opportunity? Because they watched my content start growing and they invited me to join the team and they'll teach me business. So long story short, that helped me with that in terms of my business growth skills. So I can speak the language of business now. I understand it. The second skill that I found to be the differentiator, I guess, so to speak in my brand, uh, was my healthcare background. So I discovered neuroscience. I was just like, oh my goodness, how can we make this transformation happen in real life? It's this. It's understanding how our brains are wired, how our brain works, how in fact, most of our adult lives, our brains are working against us and not for us, which is why we run into all these habits that we're saying that we feel stuck, right? Whether it's procrastination, addiction, whatever it is, right? Distractions, binge watching television, all of these habits we enter into, it's, it's not because we're stupid. It's just because of how the neurology in our brain has been formed because of our unique life experiences. So- I use my marketing skills to take something complex and be able to try to explain it in a more digestible way that's easier to understand and more importantly, easier to implement. And that's kind of where my sweet spot came in. I've been testing it out. A lot of leaders loved it, entrepreneurs, sometimes a political leader. I coached the mayor last year, which was still wild for me that I did that. So I've been realizing this kind of content has been super helpful for people with making more impact right? And also growth, whether it's in their business or in their life. And I've been doing it ever since. That's amazing.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think that's gonna be really relevant for people listening today because a lot of us are either in progress or have found the place we are in our careers by bridging connections between experiences that we've had in our lifetime. And I love that you shared your own story to where you are now is you kind of took what you learned from you know, both your uh, academic and medical background, right? And this experience of storytelling and honing in kind of this, uh, filmmaking background and a business and, you know, come full swing. Now you're running a business that is helping people, uh, entrepreneurs and, and many people in business through successful performance and how to get past barriers. I love hearing people's uh, career paths and specifically ones that are pretty non-traditional. <laughs> I find really interesting. So thanks for sharing some of your your background. I remember the first time that I, I met you, I read like a viral article that you had posted online that had gotten, <laughs> I think, probably a million or so views at the time and then just kept kind of growing. Yeah, it hit over 7 million uh, yeah. uh, for that article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe you'll have to answer us answer questions on how to do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you have a ability to communicate some of these pretty complex concepts and make them simple for people to understand and not just understand, but implement. I'd love to talk about that today with our audience here, because a lot of people are entrepreneurs or maybe entrepreneurs in business and are really looking to create impact out of the work that they do, whether they're in a company. Uh, they have their own company, maybe they're a freelancer or a coach or something, and they're looking to make an impact beyond just the profit. And with that comes a lot to think about. And I know you talk a lot about the various states that our our mind or our body can find itself in. And we operate at our best or our worst in those states. So I'd love if you want to introduce to us what are the reasons we find ourselves performing really, really well in some seasons and really, really poorly in others?
1: Yeah, and, and that's a great conversation to have because this was the big breakthrough for me,
0: right? When I started
1: kind of examining the neuroscience, right? Like I don't have a PhD in it, but I have a healthcare background that enables me to read these medical journals, interpret it and see what it's saying and, and, and basically look at what the conversation is. And it came down to, I realized one of the big ahas for me was, turns out your brain operates in one of two states. That's it. It's one or the other, when one's on, the other's off. And these two states is what I call either a survival state or an executive state, okay? The executive state is where some of the most amazing capabilities of your brain come from. This is your ability to make impact. This is your ability to innovate. This is your ability to be creative. This is your ability to solve complex problems. Now the survival state is the part of your brain that cuts you off from accessing that part of your brain because it's in a mode where it's reacting without thinking. The survival state is meant, what it's meant for is for actual life-threatening scenarios. Like if you're about to die, like a tiger's in front of you about to eat you, or you have a gun pointed at your head, because that part of the brain, it doesn't know how to think. It only knows how to react without thinking because in a life-threatening scenario, you sit there and you start thinking you might die. So the part that was shocking for me was turns out based on research, We're not in the part of our brain that can access our creativity, our innovation, our critical thinking skills, our problem-solving skills for a majority of our adult lives. We're in the survival state for a majority of our adult life, more or less around 70%. So that was the big aha. I'm like, oh my goodness, because we're in this state, remember you're reacting without thinking. This is why people experience that experience of like, why do I feel stuck? Why can't I figure out the solution? Why do I feel so unclear on things? Why do I feel so anxious, frustrated, anxious, depressed? And the, way, the reason for this is this. You're not actually in a life-threatening scenario for 70% of your adult life. We're not running away from saber-toothed tigers for 70% of our adult life. The reason why we're in survival state is not because we're actually surviving from a physical threat. We're surviving from what our brain perceives to be an emotional threat so the the way to explain this is think about how often on a daily basis you might feel anxious stressed frustrated insecure worried afraid your brain literally perceives that as a life-threatening scenario why because the brain research shows that the brain can process emotional pain as being just as painful as physical pain think about that emotional pain can be just as painful as physical pain so your brain can't help, but react to the emotion. And then we go into this reactive mode that cuts you off from some of the most amazing capabilities of your brain on a daily basis for about 70% of our adult lives. And there's so many variables in why that's the case. It's because of your unique life experiences. It's also because of culture, masculine culture, for example, right? A lot of boys are told to be tough, suck it up. Don't feel your feelings, right? So they feel unsafe. It could also be the media. You turn on the news here, it's unfortunately things like school shootings, dramatic politics, the pandemic, of course. And it just triggers so much fear in the brain because of the environments we live in, the cultures we've lived in. And the bottom line to think about is that causes the brain to feel unsafe in some way. And when you feel unsafe, your brain's going to go into survival because it feels threatened. This goes deep. You know, I remember there was research that was done, a survey that was done with a group of people asking a very simple question, which was, who's got your back? And out of that group, 60% of them said nobody. And out of the 60% of people that said nobody, 55% of the people, they were married. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it just goes to show how unsafe we feel psychologically even, even in our own homes. And this triggers the part of your brain that cuts you off from some of the most amazing capabilities that you have. And that was the big aha for me going, Man, if you understand that and you can actually start seeing it, how often we're in frustration, stress, anxiety, and see that that's the thing that's keeping you stuck, then we can actually show you what to do about it. Because we need to be aware of it first.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I heard you share some of this for the first time, it's funny because the amount that you see once you become aware of some of these things afterward, it's like when you, I don't know, read an article about Tesla and then. You know, you see a Tesla every car you pass by, right? It's just, you you become aware of it. And it's funny that you mentioned your background. You said you kind of grew up poor. And I I had a very similar experience. And if you think about business and entrepreneurship, you're thinking about money and you might be carrying in some of those emotions and those thoughts and those frameworks that you had about money growing up and bringing that into your business. And if that's stimulating, you know, fear responses, then you're not operating at your best. or unfortunately, even mentioned gun violence. And I've found since I live in Rochester, New York, which is just about an hour away from Buffalo. And these last few weeks um, after being made aware of the, the shootings and the violence and reading articles and all these things, and I don't feel like I've been able to do anything like get work done <laughs> in weeks <laughs> because my mind is just, um, one, it dwelling on certain things, but there's also, um, what that does to your, your mind in terms of your response, like you're talking about, it really affects our productivity and how we're able to to perform and be creative in these things. So once someone becomes aware that they have these two mental modes or states that their brain is in, what's the next step after just becoming aware that I find myself in these two different states, what's next? What do you, what do you do to kind of work through that? The short answer to that is to become even more aware, right? Because just when you became aware of one
1: layer, there's another layer to be aware of. And I take this deeper because self-awareness is so important. I think it's such a cliche played out word now, but there's a lot of truth to it because if you're not aware of yourself, like the example I give is if you have a piece of broccoli stuck between your teeth, how do you have the power to remove it unless it comes into your awareness? Someone has to point it out or you have to see it in the mirror. And one of the first things I wanna just stress that you brought up too is, yeah, like sometimes we dwell on things and it keeps us in survival. But when it comes to making impact, guess what? You can't create when you're in survival, by the way. You're not creative in a survival state because you feel threatened. You're not sitting there thinking about things or wondering about things or, or feeling good about things. So when you're feeling threatened, it prevents you from having impact. Why? Because you're the part of your brain that can have empathy, Because Empathy is the core ingredient of impact. If you think about it, we have to be empathetic is actually shut off, right? If a tiger is in front of you about to eat you, you're not sitting there going, "Hmm, I wonder how this tiger's doing. Is his parents feeding him? Okay. I hope you, we're not thinking thoughts like that because when your brain feels threatened, guess who the focus is on? It's on yourself. It's all me, 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 me. I feel worried. I, right. No judgment around any of this, but that's just how the brain functions. So. If we become more aware, like you said, it's this kind of experience of where you can't unsee it anymore. You're going, oh my gosh, I can see why I'm in survival 70% of my life, or I can see why other people are. And the next thing to become aware of is what does survival actually look like? This is the part where people start getting more aware and finally seeing things they might not have seen before. And is what does survival actually look like? That's the next thing to be aware of because, well... Here's what it looks like in the life-threatening scenario. If a tiger's in front of you about to eat you, it's very obvious. It's what's called a fight, flight, freeze. That's the only thing your survival brain knows how to do when it's in fear. Fight, flight, freeze. In an actual physical life-threatening scenario, it's obvious. You're going to pick up a weapon to try to fight against the threat. You're going to run for your life in flight physically, or you're actually going to freeze and play dead. The reason that happens is an example is possums right? Possums play dead because their predators like their food alive. It's a survival mechanism. So if they play dead, they don't get eaten. So humans do the fight, fly, freeze response for 70% of our adult life as well, but it doesn't look like the same as if you're actually about to die in front of a tiger. It just looks slightly different. And it's good to be aware of what this actually looks like. What does fight look like? Classic ones are things like someone says something hurtful to you. You get defensive and now you're fighting. It's a fight response. Or, you know, both of us being from the East coast, right? Road rage, right? If you get cut off on the road and you get upset and you try to cut that person back off without any consideration of the safety of the cars around you, that's a fight response where we're reacting without thinking. We're not empathetic in that moment. We're just trying to, right? My, my ego got bruised, so I'm trying to fight back, right? Where fight gets a little bit more subtle, yet it's still as damaging are things like the need to, Prove yourself to someone or to yourself, or having the need to always be right. Overworking, perfectionism. I like to give examples of this because some people pride themselves on themselves being a hard worker or overworker or an overgiver. People-pleasing, right? That's another form of fight response and not holding your boundaries. So I remember having a client, he was in his 60s, and I was going over this survival response with him and he had everything you could imagine you wanted the multi-million dollar business the nice house a beautiful family all that stuff and he was still feeling unfulfilled unhappy i'm sharing this information and he's sitting there going oh my gosh i just realized my whole life i've been in a fight response for most of it because i've been trying to prove to people that i'm better than my older brother because everyone always compared me to him his older brother was an nfl football player by the way right he was sharing a memory with me when he was in football On his team, his coach literally said to him, like, stop trying. You're never going to be as good as him. Like his coach said, the person who's supposed to be mentoring it, right? And so he spent the rest of his life fighting. How do you fight? Trying to accomplish more things, right? He made more money, more status. And some of us are in a fight response without even realizing. And it always, always leads to a lack of fulfillment and burnout. At some point, you're going to get burnt out if you keep fighting. And the fight response in the entrepreneur space, this is a big one that a lot of people deal with, but you see, you know what the fight response is preventing you from doing it's preventing you from working smarter. You ever hear that phrase work smarter, not harder being in fight mode prevents you from working smarter. And I've had conversations with this. I had another client, his business did really well too, right? Multi-million and made it to the Inc 5,000 fastest fastest-growing company. And he was debating with me. He's like, no, sometimes you need that fight response, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm like, well, from a scientific perspective, you actually only need it if you're physically in danger, like you're about to die. He's like, no, 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 let me explain. He's like, I hit rock bottom. Like his second wife just divorced him because she was cheating on him. First wife cheated on him too and left him. And he's still responsible for like over $2,000 of child support every month. Like that was the gist of what he was sharing with me. And he had no money left. He remembers scrapping up every coin from his house to put it into that machine that gives you the cash, which the, the machine also takes a fee for it too, right? To give you cash for the coin. And he had like $5 left and he was with his son and his son was just like, I want, I want ice cream. And he was telling me, he was so upset. I'm like, why? Because your son asked for ice cream? He's like, no, because I didn't have enough money to get my own ice cream, right? <laughs> and he was like, that was the moment I decided I just needed to keep my head down, my shoulder up and I needed to fight my butt off. I was bashing through brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. So a lot of us entrepreneurs who have, quote unquote, made it to a certain degree, we did it with the fight response. And the illusion is that it was the fight response that got us there. So I was just exploring with them. I'm like, look, this is not me about talking about what you should have, would have, could have done in the past, because what happened happened. But this is just a thought exercise. I was just like, well, what if, because you train yourself on how to get into an executive state, Even if it's for just a moment, I used this analogy back at him. I was like, even if it's just a moment, what if it's the very thing that helps you put your head up for a second and your shoulders down and what it gives you the ability and the power to do is to be able to look at more information and you finally see, oh my goodness, these brick walls that I felt was the only option where I needed to bash through them were only three feet wide. Meaning there could have been many other options to get to the destination you wanted to go to. Why bash through the walls? We could have just walked around it. Or whatever, that's the analogy I was using because what happens when you're in survival state is you develop tunnel vision, right? If a tiger's in front of you about to eat you, you're not sitting there going, let me examine all of my surroundings here. So this is where a lot of leaders make mistakes for their organization and for their businesses is because they're operating from survival, their tunnel vision. They're not looking at the whole picture because they're in survival. So that's why it always leads to mistakes that we don't want it. And it always hits the ceiling. It can only get you so far. It doesn't help the world rewards overworkers and fighters with money, but that's not going to be the thing that helps you get to the next level of performance and clarity and energy by continuing to fight because you're just going to get burnt out at some point. Is this, is this making sense so far in terms of the fight response?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely see myself in it. (laughs) So this is where you have to check yourself a little bit, right? Because if you're
1: an overworker, overachiever, people pride themselves on things like that. I'm from New York city, right? People pride themselves on working a lot. And if you're fighting, it's always going to lead to a lack of fulfillment or a lack of clarity. It's like this experience of you, you climb the mountain and you you finally see that it was the wrong mountain to begin with. That's what happened to me in my pharmacy career, right? I thought this was the thing I wanted. I got my six figure salary. I got the nice sports car. I worked so hard for this. And why am I still unhappy? So that's the fight response, by the way, I stress that a lot because a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs are fighters, by the way. So what's the flight response to be aware of? It's classic case is a procrastination. It's the brain trying to survive from some sort of fear insecurity or carrying, right? What if I do this and I make a mistake? What if I do this and I do it wrong? What will people think of me? what if it's more evidence that I'm not capable, I'm not good enough, smart enough, et cetera. So the survival mechanism is to run from it by putting it off for later. Where flight response gets more deeper is when you start numbing yourself. So again, I have to preface this with there's no judgment around any of this, it's just awareness building. By the way, if you start judging, even including judging yourself, it's a survival state. It's the same reason why people gossip, right? We have an insecurity about ourselves. So we feel the need to put someone else down to feel better about ourselves. Judging, gossiping is the same kind of survival tactic. So anyway, no judgment around any of this. Everyone has their own form of numbing themselves. Some people like to binge watch Netflix. Some people like to eat a tub of ice cream. Some people like to overindulge in things like alcohol, sex, drugs, the list goes on. And we numb ourselves because we're surviving from the feeling we don't like feeling. And that's a flight response, right? We're fleeing from the feeling. And what's a freeze response? Freeze response is inaction. Sometimes it's actually uh, playing dead as well. So an example of that is if you got caught in a lie, if you ever see people, they literally freeze their eyes wide and, and they just don't move. It's the brain going, Hey, if you play dead right now, if you pretend not to exist, this person will stop interrogating you. Hopefully But clearly that doesn't work because you're still there. (laughs) And it makes you look worse because it's clear that you got caught in the lie when you do that response. That's how you can tell a person's lying. If you see them kind of like in a freeze response when you're confronting them about it and your heart rate actually goes down too. but where it becomes more obvious and more common is inaction is like you wake up in the morning because of overwhelm. You wake up in the morning, you don't want to get out of bed because you're feeling overwhelmed. So overwhelm tends to trigger inaction as a survival response when you feel overwhelmed. Like there's too much to do with too little time. So when you sit and think about that, I encourage clients to become more aware of this is, can you see it in others? Like, number one, it helps you see it in all the people around you now, why they behave the way they do. And more importantly, in yourself. And that's the thing to become aware of. And when you become aware of it, you have the power to change it. That's the first step is the awareness.
0: Yeah. I'm listening because when you hear about these three responses, your mind probably, mine definitely does, goes to different situations, how you react in different moments. I can see ways that I've reacted in fight, flight, freeze, all three of these in different scenarios. And you're touching on really, really important things because our audience, many of them are working towards trying to find solutions for some of the world's biggest problems and most meaningful work. And it's very, very easy to get overwhelmed by when you think about the kind of grandiosity of these problems and the inaction doesn't help burn out. Lots of businesses and business leaders in this space burn out because of the overwhelm, because of that fight, fight, fight tunnel vision that you get. What I'm trying to say is in order to really affect change and make a meaningful impact in the world, we need to be operating at our best. So, I would really encourage people as they're listening to this episode even maybe take some notes about fight, flight freeze and kind of try to identify where do you see yourself more most often because I know that there's ways and've and and I've heard because I've heard you share some of this content there are ways to one avoid going into this state and it's important to know which you you typically go to because then you can kind of counteract that tendency so once we've been brought into the awareness of how we respond and react when we feel in danger? What do we do? So the three-step
1: process I bring people through is the first thing is what we just did, which is awareness. So once you become aware, the second phase is training, right? We're not born with a manual on how to use our brains. So that's kind of what I'm dedicating my life to now is just to help train people to understand how to use and rewire your brain more effectively so that you're elevating its performance. And the third part is execution, right? Because if you don't implement, you're not gonna experience the benefits. So the first part of training, number one is I just have to stress the importance of this. If you're trying to tackle a big world problem, if you're in survival, you're not gonna solve it, I'm sorry, no matter how hard you work towards it. Because number one, I'm gonna call out people. If you're in fight mode, you're not doing it for the world problem, by the way. You're doing it for you. For survival, yeah. In survival, you're surviving from something, a belief you're carrying, such as I'm not good enough. I'm not worth much without my skills or whatever. I don't accept myself the way I am. I don't like myself. And here's the way I illustrate it, because I want to just stress the importance and I'll share a couple of tactics that you can do in addition to how I help people train with this is, I remember I would get so upset at my daughter when she doesn't listen to me. I still get triggered, right? I'm I'm not a saint, Uh, right? Our triggers are still there at times, but the thing to think about is, I remember sitting there, I would get so upset. Like I felt it and like my body shakes too. Like I would get really upset. And I'm sitting there going, based on this work I'm doing now, I'm not getting upset because of her. My survival brain will want to blame her, right? And there's many reasons for this, but for the purpose of this conversation, I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm not reacting to her then. I'm reacting to my internal perspective about her because there could be any other parent in the same scenario and they don't get upset as much as I do. So, I'm the denominator here. I'm the common denominator here. So, I'm sitting there going, Well, why is that the case? Well, what I've discovered so far, by the way, is anger is a secondary emotion. Uh, Behind anger, there's always fear. We get angry because we're afraid. A boundary is getting crossed that we don't want it to get crossed. So, we use anger to try to protect ourselves from it. So, I'm sitting there going, What am I so sensitive about? And I remember sitting there going, Oh my goodness. I'm upset because I'm very sensitive about being perceived as a bad father because I had a rough relationship with my father. I used to think thoughts with a lot of resentment and anger going, if I'm ever a dad, I'm never gonna be a crappy dad like my dad, right? Because he left the family when I was a teenager and all that All that stuff, broken family. So the moment my daughter doesn't listen to me, what's my brain doing? Like, hey, you're being a bad dad. See, she's not listening to you, just like your dad. So because I'm so sensitive about it, that's what, what a trigger is, fight, flight, freeze. In that moment I fight. I remember when we're in fight mode, we're not empathetic. You're not trying to understand the other person consider their perspective. And the very thing I want with my daughter, which is to be deeply connected with her, I'm doing the opposite. When I'm in survival, I'm disconnecting from her because I'm making it about me. You see what I'm saying? So if you wanna make true impact, you have to teach yourself how to get out of survival because you're not doing it for them then. You're doing it for you. So the first part of training is I have two buckets. One bucket is short-term work. Meaning like when you're in survival and now you're aware of it, like you're in it, how do you just kind of snap out of it? And there's long-term work because the reason we're in survival for 70% of our adult life is not because you're consciously doing it. You're doing it automatically because your brain's been wired that way because of interpretations you've given certain experiences in your life. So the short-term work is, number one is just label your emotions. I feel sad, I feel anxious, I feel happy, I feel frustrated. Very simple, even if it's in your own head. There's research behind this. UCLA did a study where they had brain scans tied to your head. They would show these people pictures of people's faces in survival, anxious faces, angry faces. What was interesting, as soon as they showed the participant the photo, the survival brain immediately turned on. But what was interesting was the moment the researcher asked, can you tell me what emotion you're seeing on this photo? They'd be like, oh, easy. That's anxiety. That's fear. That's frustration. That's anger. The moment they named the emotion, guess what happened? Survival brain turned off executive state brain turned on. Why? Because to label something, doesn't that require you to think about it for a second? And when you're in survival, you cannot think. You literally can't think. So even when you're naming your emotions, you're calling on your executive state brain to turn on, which is where your emotional regulation centers come from as well. It just turns on. And a clinical psychologist friend of mine just mentioned one nuance. He's like, there's a subtle yet important difference in the language. There's a difference between I am sad and I feel sad. I am sad, presumes that it's your identity. I am Sean, I am sad. But if you're going to do that, that's why your brain tends to stay stuck in survival because it thinks that's your personality, that's who you are, but that's not true. I feel sad, acknowledges that the feeling is temporary. It's not permanent. How do we know this? Because feelings come and go, don't they? Sometimes you feel sad, sometimes you feel happy. It's not permanent. Feelings come and go. So it's even if it's in your own head, just make it a practice. To just notice how you're feeling. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling disappointed. So that helps your emotional regulation centers turn on in your executive brain and your empathy, which helps you make more impact at the end of the day, bottom line.
0: Oh, that's really interesting because I've heard you know, people share about when you're trying to form positive habits that essentially you do the reverse. You want it to be your identity, right? Positive like- psychology.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a rabbit hole we can, we can talk about at some point. But um, yeah, but long story short, it's number one is just, a, it's awareness. Where positive psychology damages people is they're in a place of denial, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? It's like, I'm saying I feel great when I don't, and I don't believe it because my belief about myself is that I'm a crappy person or whatever. It's not gonna work. It's actually more damaging than, than beneficial. Because that's a flight response too, isn't it? Denial. So anyway, the second thing that I give people as a tip is it's a little bit more of a cliche thing that you hear a lot, which is breathe deep breaths. There's science behind why this is true. Just like your brain can be in an executive state and a survival state. So can your body think about what happens in your body when you feel like your life is in danger. If you're in front of a tiger, that's about to eat you. Your heart rate's going up. Your lungs have become faster, breathing faster, shallow breaths to get that oxygen in your body your digestive system shuts down because if you're about to die, this is not a time to be eating, which by the way, this is why stressed out people tend to have digestion issues. And it's also why people who are stressed a lot have sleep issues. Because another thing that pumps through your blood when you're in survival is adrenaline. This is why even though you slept the full night, you wake up still tired at times because there's so much adrenaline being pumped through your blood at a programmatic level, like on autopilot. So when you take these deep breaths It tickles the nervous system called your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part that helps your body relax and get into its executive state. It tickles those nerves at the bottom of your lungs so that your body calms down and enters into executive state as well. So two types of breathing I recommend is what's called box breathing. It's a five second inhale. You hold it for five seconds, five second exhale. Second type of breathing, I learned about it through a amazing neuroscientist. His name's Andrew Huberman. He's a professor out in Stanford. And he literally showed scans of people doing this type of breath and they watch the body relax. So it's a deep inhale, inhale again, a nice and slow exhale. And that literally just calms your body down. Cause when your body feels like it's about to die, all that adrenaline, your heart's beating faster. Your shoulders are all tense. Your muscles are all tense. So, it prevents your brain from going into executive state because your body's the first thing to receive information that we get through our five senses. So if you constantly feels threatened, you're preventing yourself from working smarter, not harder, and you're preventing yourself from making the most impact that you can make. That's the short-term work, two tips that I found to be very helpful, that's
0: easy to do, that you can do right now. That's really, really interesting, The especially, I mean, very, very practical breathing tips, especially when you're talking about eating, digestive, sleeping. You know, I've, a lot of times I've noticed, and especially over more so over the years where I, I would just skip meals, like two, or three meals at a time because I would just. When you're I'd stressed, be, right? So stressed. I'm just working. Go, go, go. Skip all the meals. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's the worst. It's funny because I love food. So it's not. <laughs> there's right. definitely something going on. Yeah. Your body is literally going, hey, this is not a time to be eating.
1: We need to survive right now. That's why you don't feel hungry when you're stressed and that doesn't help your body get nourishment, does it? And even if you do eat, people who scarf down food when they're stressed, it's not like it's going to absorb as much of the nutrients that it needs from the food either because it's not operating at its best, your digestive system when it's in stress. Cuz it literally thinks it's about to die. It's like preservation mode. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's preservation mode. Let's move all of the energy away from the digestive system right now and put it into our muscles because your body feels physically threatened and you just right? Fight, flight, freeze, fight, flight, freeze. And our bodies are not meant to be in survival long-term, by the way. That's severely damaging for the body in the long-term, right? Who wants to be running away from a saber-toothed tiger for 70% of our adult life? But that's what our body's doing, believe it or not. And this is why I feel like there's so much more of sickness happening, especially in scenarios where you go to the doctor and you go, I feel so sick. What's wrong with me? And the doctors are like, "Labs fine. And it's what your stress is doing to you. And at some point, you actually get physically sick. The word disease, if you break it down, it's literally dis-ease. Mm. It's being uneasy. Stress. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And it damages your body. And that was the part that I found to be an eye-opening thing about why it's important to take care of your body too and listen to your body. Because it's usually an indicator of whether or not you're in survival.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a really great point to kind of, I mean, it, is there anything that you want to kind of tie a bow on with that. Yeah, so if that's some short tips, the long-term
1: work is to understand how to start rewiring your brain to begin with. Because there's, there's research saying that by the time you're about 35 years old, 90 to 95% of your brain becomes subconscious, which means it's on autopilot. So just like you're walking down the stairs, you don't consciously go, I need to put my left foot forward now, my right. You just do it without thinking. The same thing happens in your brain with your beliefs that you carry. Maybe at a young age, you watched your parents struggle with money. So you form a belief money is hard to make, or you see your parents struggle with relationships. So you form a belief relationships are hard. So it does these beliefs on autopilot. It also does thinking on autopilot. We think 70,000 thoughts a day, 90 to 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts every day. And a majority of those thoughts, guess what? Not surprising. It's a negative thought about yourself. So that's going to put you into survival state on autopilot. So there's a lot of variables here. So... The long-term work is to understand how to actually just rewire your brain to begin with. And it's, it's this process of just deepening the level of awareness within yourself and support, right? This is the support I provide for people through coaching and through processes and through technology that can actually measure what state your brain and your body is in so that you can train yourself to get out of it on a more moment-to-moment basis. And that's the next thing to be aware of is, oh, this is on autopilot, but it brings up this question of what are you actually surviving from? a hundred percent of the time it's a belief about yourself i'm not good enough i'm not smart enough i'm not capable i don't matter my voice doesn't matter the list goes on about these beliefs that aren't true that we carry about ourselves so we need to get awareness around that then you can actually rewire it and that's the process i bring people through and that's the longer term work because sometimes it's decades of thought patterns and beliefs that you're carrying in your brain so you have to go deep with that so that's the long-term work And that's the one thing to think about is how safe do you feel on a daily basis? Are you creating a safe space for yourself? Whether it's you just going out for a walk on occasion or giving yourself what you need when you're stressed, breathing, right? Take yourself out for a little bit, take yourself out on a date. And the bow that I would love to tie is like, this is the most important thing to think about is how is your relationship with yourself? Because the biggest breakthrough I've had in my work, there was this leader asked once a very cliche question about relationships. How do I find the perfect partner? The, the one for me, which by the way, is the survival question. And I'm going to call it out. The reason it's a survival question is because what the brain's really asking is, Hey, I carry this insecurity about myself. How can I find someone that I hold hundred percent responsible for my happiness so that if I'm ever unhappy, I at least have someone to blame because I don't want to take ownership over that unhappiness. I don't want to take responsibility for it. You see what I'm saying? And the leader understood this was where it was coming from. There was already an insecurity there about themselves, a limiting belief they're carrying about themselves. And he asked a very powerful question, which was, "Would you go out with yourself?" And I remember the two big breakthroughs happened. Number one was I noticed immediately my response was, "No, I wouldn't go out with myself," because it's so easy to see all these things you don't like about yourself. And I was like, "Oh, okay, it's interesting because, but it's also familiar because in personal development space, you know, a lot of people stress." self-care, self-love. So I was just like, okay, that's, that's interesting awareness that I just noticed. But the breakthrough behind that breakthrough was, wait, hold on. I can tell my wife, I love her. And I do all these nice things for her because I love her. But if I don't love me, I'm doing those things in survival. I'm not doing it for her. I'm doing it for me. Because if I carry a belief that I don't matter, which I do, right. That's, that was one of my core beliefs. My brain's going to survive from this belief of, I don't matter. Maybe if you do these nice things for her, one day you will find me matter. I'm doing it for me. You see what I'm saying? How did I know this was true? If I ever got into an argument with my wife, what's the first thing I do as a defense mechanism in survival? I bring up the stuff I've done for her. Well, I do this and this for you. Why don't you do that for me? And I'm resenting and I'm bitter, I'm, but it, if you call yourself out, you're going, well, why did you do those things to begin with and for you to have to bring it up in this current conversation. Were you truly doing it from a place of abundance and generosity? I wasn't. So this is why I realize now when people say they're impact driven and you're burning yourself out and you're not taking care of yourself, guess what? You're not doing those things for the, for the mission then. You're doing it for you. It's bullshit. Sorry, excuse my language. But if you're in that mode where you're burning yourself out and you're just giving, 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 and you're not taking care of yourself, you're not doing it for the cause. I'm sorry. It's your brain going, if I don't do this and I don't burn myself out, then it might mean I don't matter. It might mean I'm not doing enough, which therefore means I am not enough. So this is why it's so critically important to invest in yourself. Take care of yourself. Give yourself what you need. Get yourself the support. Be your own biggest advocate. Treat yourself with the same level of care that you would provide for the people that you're trying to make an impact on. Because if you don't, you're doing it out of survival to begin with. I'm sorry. And that's, a, that's an honest truth that you're going to have to come to grips with. That's preventing you from reaching that next level of impact because you can't impact people in survival. That was one of the biggest breakthroughs I had. How is your relationship with yourself? Do you actually like yourself? <laughs> because if you don't, you're going to do everything in survival. You're just going to keep fighting to do more for other people. And you might justify saying, I'm doing it for others, but you're not. That's the thing to come to grips with. And that was transformative for me.
0: That's, that's huge. I, I'd love to underscore that. I mean, one of the driving things behind people that work in impact-related spaces is this belief in human dignity. Like, everyone is, has worth and value. Man, it's, it's a necessity to believe that in yourself, that you have worth and you have value. And I can see how, one, how hard that is to, to accomplish that, to believe that personally. And then too, like how, what lengths we go to, to cover it up when we don't. So that's, that's huge. I really appreciate you sharing that. Well, Eugene, thanks so much for sharing like this work that you do and your own life lessons through this and how you've kind of come to this point. It's been really, really valuable. I know Eugene does a lot of group writing around this work. You can find him Google. <laughs> you can definitely find him on Google, but we'll have links to Eugene's website in the show notes. You can find um, articles he's written, podcasts that he's recorded events that he's hosted Um, it it goes on it definitely if this if this resonates then i really encourage you to take a look at eugene's work and subscribe to his email list and things because there's we're touching on some really really important topics here where we cannot be effective lead transformative teams and businesses and causes unless we tackle this these topics in this work so eugene thanks so much for joining me today i really really appreciate it Yeah, man, thanks so much for having me. I had a blast. All right, I hope you enjoyed the episode with Dr. Eugene Choi. I know talking through topics like this forces me to be introspective in honestly some of the best ways. And like we talked about at the end, the idea of really caring for ourselves and believing that we have ourselves have inherent worth and dignity. And if you like this episode, I would love if you would share it with a friend, go ahead and pass this along to someone who you think could benefit from the conversation that we had today. And if you're not yet subscribed, go ahead and whatever podcast player you're in at the moment, go ahead and hit subscribe. And if you have a chance, to leave a review that would really help me. And I love to hear the feedback from those who are listening. So thanks again for tuning in to this episode of We Can Do This, and I'll see you next week.